What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, April 1st. There will be no episode today. Nah, I'm just kidding. April Fool's. Actually, I have a really good episode for you guys with my friend Gabriel Shear with Fort Galt, who was actually on the podcast a year ago. So this is technically a part two. Um, I recommend that you go re-listen to the first episode we recorded together uh, to catch up. And then, yeah, definitely listen to this one. It's a, it's a good follow-up. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you do, go into the description below and click on the link to make a contribution to the podcast to keep the ads away. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Fort Galt, or just Gabriel himself. All right, guys, enjoy. This is the Block Hash Podcast. It seems like Latin America has so far been pretty well at skirting this disaster. I mean, at least the last continent that really hasn't gotten hit, maybe other than Australia, but um, it's, um, it's not looking good. They're, yesterday was really bad. Um, Canada shut down their borders. Spain announced they were going to shut down their borders. I mean, it, Italy is already in self-quarantine. Uh, the UK announced that they were going to allow their population to get infected up to like 60% or something to develop this herd immunity, um, which I think is not going to work, but you know, let them try. Um, you know, the U.S. shut down their border to select countries and, and all of Europe for a short period of time. And, um, you know, over the next week or so, as this gets worse, they'll probably just shut down their borders completely. I think every major first world country will definitely do that. Um, but I'm curious as to where some of these other countries, these emerging markets, you know, like Southeast Asia, how are they going to hold up? What are they going to do? Um, mm. Latin America, where we are right now, really hasn't broken out all that bad. Maybe with respect to Brazil, that's about it. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how the next few weeks play out um, in terms of the virus and the market. Yeah. And I mean, it. Everyone, oh man, I tell you, social media is just a big freaking mess right now. Um, yeah. You'll have friends that their personality type leads them to be, I don't want to say overreactive because that's a little presumptuous, but highly reactive, shall we say. Right. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, there's, there's a lot. When, when you take a whole bunch of people and you force them to stay home, yeah. um, what else are they going to do? Right, right. <laughs> have a lot of options. But it's also fun to look at some of the word coming out of China right now because they, they had a huge head start on all this. And uh, it looks like if you believe the word coming out is things are starting to turn around right now, that they're bouncing back. Um, where was that? Okay, so a friend of mine, um, he has a friend in Shenzhen that posted mm -hmm. this. Um, it's actually a really long post, so I'll skip to the important bits. Um, thought I'd post something regarding the virus since I've already gone through the emotions most Americans are currently beginning to experience. He's making a few observations. Things have, be, have begun returning to normal here in Shenzhen. Online deliveries, which China runs on, have resumed at their normal speed. Restaurants are slowly reopening. Shopping centers seem mostly open, etc. We're required to wear masks in public. Uh, 
and are subject to temperature checks upon entering almost any establishment. That's reasonable. I thought I might have contracted it last month because I had two random fever spikes during quarantine. I also had a bit of a dry cough. At 7 p.m. on February 27th, I walked over to a closet to the closest public hospital for testing, mainly to reassure my wife. I was expecting a chaotic and desperate scene, but actually found a well-organized operation tending to about seven to eight patients. Anyway, he just goes on about kind of like what the experience has been like and how things seem to be turning around right now how he empathizes with everyone's reaction in the West right now, but is trying to kind of reassure everyone that it's just a, a process everyone will have to go through and it, everything's fine on the other side. Just deal with it the, the best that you can. Um, now, because he is in Shenzhen, which is one of the more developed urban centers, maybe he has access to better services there than the rest of the, the country like maybe the countryside smaller towns and stuff don't have their shit together nearly as well but right. i like to yeah. look for the the more optimistic you know grains of right. hang in there buddy <laughs> i mean i'm trying to be optimistic obviously and look for opportunities because you know uh, yeah crisis comes opportunity right but i really think we're just in the throes of this and it's really getting started um yeah China's making a lot of progress because they're obviously a social socialist regi regime and they have yeah. the ability to control the outcome better than most. And right. there's mass sterilization of cities and towns right now yeah. on a pretty big scale. Um, yeah, and, and they they're not above just yeah. rounding up a bunch of infected people and making them vanish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, yeah, they'll they'll emerge from this and they'll, they'll get back to what they're doing best at some point. Um, but I think as far as viruses go and how they work and the, um, how malicious this one is, I think we're going to see a couple waves of it. And I yeah. think going through the first wave right now, the second wave will be a lot worse. Um, you know, it'll probably taper off by the time it gets to this third wave because you can't just completely wipe out a virus right. that's bigger than normal. Um, that is, more malicious, that's more dormant and hard to detect, and you really don't know where it is, and that can mutate with its half-life as quickly as many other viruses that we've seen in a long time. So it, it's very yeah. serious for that reason, and we don't know um, how it's going to react to um, different treatment methods. We don't know how it's going to react to any type of vaccine um, or method that we implement at some point in the future. So it's going to be really interesting to see how how that's handled, but I think more importantly, what we're going to see is um, people continue freaking out, panicking, because the problem when you have a government that tells you to not panic and to remain calm and everything's fine, and then overnight they slash rates to zero, inject $500 billion, and then shut down the borders, that's going to freak people out. It's like yeah. you're sending all the wrong messages and you're just asking for this asking this for this global market to just completely collapse. Oh, sure. And like, it's, it's the kind of situation where it almost doesn't even matter what your message is as long as you stick to it. <laughs> so it's like, if you send opposing messages like that, you know, then all people take away from it is either, okay, the government doesn't know shit or 
there's some kind of a conspiratorial element to this. They're trying to capitalize on it. They're trying to mislead us for some reason. There's just mistrust, right? Right. There are some people that think that there's some conspiracy behind this. I mean, obviously, when you, oh, yeah. home, you definitely dive into that kind of stuff more. But um, I, f- I found some of it pretty interesting. I've even had some of my friends send me stuff. Like people that I would consider very normal and baseline American, mm-hmm. like some, some really conspiratorial crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surprising to me, but it's also kind of interesting that people are really diving into the weirdest shit, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but I mean, the most common one is that uh, coronavirus is a giant facade to cover up uh, the world's largest coup d'etat, so, so to say. Um, taking out legacy governments, certain key people, you know, creating a more free society, moving back to, or going into Jasara law, um, and ideas based around that. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting theory that has some validity, but, um, you know, with all these theories, you know, it's, it's hard to, but fact to fiction. So. Right. And it's, it's not just little fringe groups like yesterday, number seven on Google trends was martial law spelt M A R S H A L. So this tells us that the, the normie masses are suddenly thinking these thoughts too, and they're Googling it as mm-hmm. best they can. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. I know the former Iranian president actually sent a letter to the UN um, asking for um, a halt to the COVID-19 being used as a bioweapon. Right. Um, there's a few countries and a lot of prominent people that actually think it is a bioweapon. And I think it's very plausible that it could have been because it, oh, had, sure. uh, it was targeting ACE2 receptors, which are more highly prominent um, within Asians overall. And that's why we saw it really break out and um, take down major Asian population centers early. But now that it's kind of mutated and it's really starting to target different groups of people for different reasons, um, I, I, that theory is starting to fall apart for me a little bit. But I mean, maybe at the same time, it's just the um, it's just part of war when you when you use a biological weapon. It's not something you can really control. So sure, and I mean, there's on one hand, there's the potential for you know, questioning what was the initial intent. And mm-hmm. then there's all the people that just capitalize on circumstances, which is probably most of them. It, it what was right. that line from Ram Emanuel, right? Just don't let any good crisis go to waste. You know? exactly. <laughs> it's an opportunity to leverage fear and get whatever you want done, done in a timely manner. So, mm-hmm. and when people start behaving that way and, capitalizing on the fear it makes it look like maybe they had something to do with it you know like but the waters are so muddy and there's no way to sort fact from fiction so i try to just keep a healthy distance from it yeah it's it's almost impossible but i i do like to when, when i get bored kind of dive into that stuff it gives sure. you something something to do yeah. so it, it keeps your mind active i mean i was talking to my friend clement about this the other day on um, we did a Instagram live video. Um, I saw you on there too. And I was like, Oh shoot, I should hit him up. It's been way too long. Like yeah. an ass. <laughs> um, and we, we were talking about the importance of having 
one foot in the door of reality and at the same time having the other foot of the door in, um, how would you say it? Not living, not living in denial. Right. So there's, there's obviously you want to live in reality and be like, okay, this is what's really happening. So this is all that I can really control. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'll handle. But at the same time, you don't want to act like the world is unicorns and rainbows. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. It's not. And if you live like that in denial that anything bad could possibly be going wrong, that you think your government is perfect and loves you and is going to take care of you, you're in denial of what the reality is. I mean, mm. exists. You know, backdoor deals exist. Oh, for um, sure. I think a lot of people, you know, choose to live in this societal bubble. Um, and they would rather live in denial of what's really out there. And I think the more people have one foot in the door of reality and one in the door of not being in denial, wish I had a better word for that, but for ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I tend to think that most people seem to live in a fantasy state anyway, where they believe that they have a whole lot more influence on quote unquote, the world than they, they really do. I've, I've tried to wean myself right. off of the entire concept of the world, right? Because what is that? That's just a higher abstraction. That's a very muddy term to that. I mean, basically refers to everything out there that you really don't have any control over. <laughs> exactly. It's everyone else's little spheres of influence and your time and energy is so much better spent just focusing on yours because you, you can actually do something with your own local environment, your own homestead, your own, your family, your next door neighbors. That's, that's where you actually have power. So worrying about what people in other cities and other countries and stuff, I mean, that just seems like a huge diversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I totally agree with that, um, with that ideal and with that sentiment, I think it's really hard. And I think you probably know this as well, that when we have such a large population globally, um, it makes it hard to put together, you know, a small little city state or put Mm. together a small community. And, you know, in some ways isolated a little bit from the greater world and, you know, have um, community guidelines, community values, community uh, driven laws that, you know, are based on individuality or libertarianism or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as the global population, you know, starts dwindling, going down, that becomes a little bit easier. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are in favor of those kind of values that we also like and mm. maybe some of the wrong ways. Um, so I'm worried that like some of these things that are happening are in effort to, you know, depopulize uh, the yeah. world at large because we'd be better off with a much smaller population. Yeah, and I mean, smaller population in what context, though? I mean, if you're just talking about the planet as a whole, then I mean, for Christ's sake, there's room for many, many times the population that currently exists. But people won't ever do that. People cluster. People like being in communities, and you know that's... Right. So that, that brings me back to it's, it's not the, the population of the world that we're talking about. It's the population of communities. Right. And that's, that's really just a management issue. And the way things are organi- organized with these giant bloated nation states right now, it's, it's not really a feasible framework to properly manage smaller c- communities. I mean, 
there's rumors floating around now that Queen Elizabeth is going to be stepping down soon. And when that happens, maybe Canada will be ready to break away from the monarchy. That's like one little step in the right direction. At least the British Empire can be properly, you know, broken up and the Commonwealth can kind of stop being a thing. And, you know, there's all these little incremental steps that are happening, but they're so slow. Like, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to get anything major done like that um, yeah. when you're for a big change. But when you put people, uh, you know, at the precipice with, um, with a real, real crisis, you know, that's when right. things really are happening. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a lot of room for just technological solutions here too. It, it doesn't have to be left to government. Like everyone gets stuck in this paradigm of like, oh, what is government going to do to fix this? Well, not everything is up to the government, you know. Like sometimes entrepreneurs need to step up and innovate solutions to specific problems. Um, I mean, one of the little projects I'm kicking around here on the side, like I don't know how far along the shrug out plan was when I talked to you last, but. It's basically a incubator here at Fort Gull. The, one of the main right. projects that I'm focused on for that is an app that basically lets people sort themselves into tribes based on their values and their personal policies. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I eventually got to that point where even like the word law and the word right, as in like a human right, just lost meaning for me because at the end of the day, they're just policies you know, that are glorified and elevated to this, this mental position of people believing that they're somehow objective or separate from our minds when they're, they're not. And I think we'd be far better served if we all just took the time to carefully craft our own personal policies. And then we could have an app that broadcast what that policy was at all times and interface with everyone else's phone that, that runs the same app. And everyone's phones could be constantly checking each other for compatibility and warning us whenever there's incompatible points to watch out for. And as augmented reality tech comes more mainstream, I see Apple's got a crap load of patents in this direction. And it looks like what they're planning to do is release a headset that interfaces with the phone. So the phone is like the brain and you're seeing your heads up display through your glasses. So this, this is a is perfect not- platform for this kind of thing because as your phone is checking everyone around you for policy compatibility, it could be showing up in real time in your lens. You know, you could be seeing like, okay, that guy's a commie, watch out for him. <laughs> or, hey, yeah. this guy's totally on the same page in these ways. You, you should totally strike up a, a conversation with him and talk about this and that. And, and I think as that is in- implemented just vo- on a voluntary basis, it would help people just kind of sort into compatible groups that can actually function. Because right. when you have people that don't even agree on fundamentals, it's really hard to get them to play nice together and get things done. <laughs> but it's almost like the sorting hat from Harry Potter, you know? It just kind of scans your brain and says, oh, you belong in this house, you know? <laughs> That would, that would make things so much more simple to have an app that could do that. It, it yeah. almost feels very controlled, though. Um, mm-hmm. But it'd be kind of cool because I'd, I'd want to see how that would work if you took it and did like a huge, uh, uh, huge study with it, maybe fifty, hundred people, and see how it's sorted. Um, yeah. But I mean, bringing up technology like AR and VR, um, I think that's where the real innovation is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, this year 
while we're going through all these things. I mean, you have tons of people that are going to be stuck at home, tons of people that are having their lives shaken up, um, that aren't used to this, that are going to need other avenues. They're going to be forced into digital mediums um, like they really haven't before. And that's not just on their phone. Mm -hmm. um, that's them being curious, bored, and wanting to try new things. Right. And I think there's a huge opportunity for, for VR, uh, Facebook and Oculus specifically to um, take advantage of this. I already know Facebook, Zuckerberg's been going out and buying up diagnostic companies and different ways to test for vaccines and stuff. So they're way ahead of the government because the government's too slow. Um, they want to make a profit off of it, obviously. And I know Amazon's doing similar things. So is Microsoft, Google, um, Gates Foundation. Uh, even though he weirdly stepped down from the, the board for Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway mm -hmm. um, to focus on philanthropy, whatever he wants to do, I guess. Right. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity for big tech here um, with how the big banks are getting a lot of pressure put on them with what's happening with the economy, with the cash, cash withdrawals happening, um, people rushing to the banks, uh, potential to see bank holidays, maybe banks shut down for quite a while. Um, I don't think they can maintain these zero percent interest rates. Oh, um, now basically zero. Um, and all this cash flooding into the economy by the Fed. I, I think we're at a recipe for disaster with everything that's going on this year. And it could be the year that we see fiat in a lot of ways hyperinflate, collapse, and banks collapse. Um, but Big tech has also been pressing their thumb on that wound for a while. Mm -hmm. And with all the digital solutions you can offer for money, um, for financing, for loans and whatnot, the tech companies do it better and more efficiently than the banks do. Yeah. Um, I, I go through tech companies all the time to pay for things and to get financing. And I don't even go into my local branch at Bank of America. Fuck them. They're yeah. too slow. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we definitely encourage our members here in Fort Galt, for instance, to use crypto as much as possible because it just makes things so much simpler for everyone. It does. Um, you know, and I think people are going to start realizing that once they, they finally need that solution. You know, obviously the market sold off across the board because of the virus. But, you know, once people wake up and see the legacy financial markets start collapsing, then they're going to be like, okay, well, I got to put my money somewhere other than the dollar. Right. Or I got to be able to have some better access other than relying on the bank. And then they'll look at crypto. They'll look at precious metals in some ways. Um, they'll look at these tech companies and what's being offered, you know, through Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and the Cash App. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of options that just keep popping up and, I really think there's a huge opportunity to also invest in some of these tech companies because yeah. um, I, I think they have a bright future. And then when you're talking about augmented reality, trying to hit all these bullet points at once. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Google is taking the approach of not going towards virtual reality because I think they know that that market is cornered by Facebook right now. Mm -hmm. uh, with Google Glass, they've been working on augmented uh, solutions, you know, that connect to your phone that are um, that are completely hands-free, uh, that, that work with your iris in some ways. Um, so I think they're going to just take a different approach on the industry because um, so many of these other tech companies, they're so focused on phones, tablets, and laptops. Um, it's There's no point in getting competitive in that space when you could just go to the next thing. So and I think yeah, that's going to... 
great innovation. Yeah, and it affects every market. Like, don't don't limit your mind to thinking that this is just software on phones. Like, this will affect real estate. I mean, now is a great time for any would-be real estate developer to start thinking, okay, well, in this world where this technology is rolled out and becomes commonplace and part of our daily reality, what do people's lives look like? What, what facilities will they want? Like right now, for instance, in Canada, there's a huge shortage of starter homes, you know, just cheap first-time homes for first-time home buyers. Huge shortage. Right. Anyone could jump in the game and start building those right now and, and do just fine. But going even further down, what does that look like when you, when you minimize even further? Because minimalism is a huge rising trend, especially amongst our age group right now. Oh, yeah. For economic reasons, partially, because nobody can afford to buy a big, quote-unquote, proper house, you know, right out of college, especially when they're loaded down with debts and everything. And then also they just don't want the hassle of managing all that stuff. You know, like there's, there's a peace of mind that comes with paring things down and keeping things simple. And, and especially people are staying single longer. They're, they're pursuing their career first and foremost. And like for me, for instance, like in Fort Gold here, we've got some normal sized accommodations, but we do have these smaller, just minimalistic rooms that are also quite popular that, it's basically just room for a desk and a bed and storing some stuff. And people mm -hmm. seem to be perfectly cool with that. Me, for instance, like right now, this, this studio that I'm in uh, started its life as a shipping container. It was retrofitted with just like plastic paneling all over the walls and stuff. And it's, it's not big by any means, but it's a very, very functional use of space. It yeah. provides all the essentials for shelter. It's got a little bathroom in it. So that's, that's there. It's got all the lighting set up. It allows me to do like YouTube videos and everything. And there's room to sleep and there's a nice desk. I, like I love shipping containers, man. There are so many great alternative uses for all the containers are just lying around everywhere. And yeah. they're relatively portable too. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing with like the, f the new flooring and the paneling and the bathroom and everything was about five grand. Like, yeah, you know, anyone, it's, it, it's great. Cause the truck can come and pick it up and move yeah. it anytime you want too. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. Cause I know back home and you could get a big 20 something foot um, shipping container for anywhere between two and three grand, depending on how new or old it is. Um, you know, and then any average Joe can just go to, Home Depot or Lowe's and buy what you need. And then, you know, after maybe a few weeks of work, you have it completely retrofitted, put up some drywall if you want, you could cut into it and punch out windows and doors. And, yeah. you know, it's really versatile. And I think with it's minimalistic as people are getting in our generation and in the next generation, especially, um, I think they're worrying less and less about big homes or even big apartments but looking for something that's new, nice, modern, but also affordable. You know, these shipping container um, developments that they're putting together in certain places, um, whether it's uh, for good or for pilots or whatever it tests out, um, they seem to really work. And, you know, oh, there's yeah. also a lot of possibility um, for people that are, you know, in poverty too, that need better options because, Exactly. Um, There's a whole hidden market yeah. that doesn't show up on the proper radars because they're populated by people that want to stay off of it. There's 
Like yeah. if you go to any tent city, for instance, in a expensive market like San Francisco or Vancouver or something, half the people in the tent city, they're not junky bums. They're, they're people that just hurt themselves and missed a paycheck and now they're screwed or their wife left them and now they're out on the, you know, trying to find some, somewhere to crash. It's just people kind of stuck in a, a rut that just need a few months to get back on their feet, you know, like there's a huge market for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's really sustainable. And the fact that you can pick it up and move it to any location that's more desirable is great because whether it's um, a plot of land you own or rent, or you could put it by any power source, you know, you could put it by any water source or gas source. Um, you know, I, I did so much research into this, trying to learn um, when I had my mining operation at full go and I was constantly looking for different ways to, you know, create a shipping container full of mining rigs. Mm, yeah. Um, I almost did it a couple times, but I always had an issue um, getting the power company to wire it up. They just right. kept to wire up a shipping container. I was just like, so stupid. Like, who cares? Just do it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if I get that sorted, I mean, I would have done so many of them. But the ability to take something like that and design it to be whatever the hell you want for relatively little cash and then set it wherever you want. I mean, that's just a whole new way at looking at homes. Like mm -hmm. I'd rather have a smaller home and a whole lot of property than vice versa. So I think sure. property is far, far more valuable having land. Um, you know, if you lived, that's like how these farmers have done well for so long, they'd have, fairly minimal sized houses and then tons and tons of land that they worked on. Um, you know, I think we get back to that kind of lifestyle things to get a lot better for many people and, you know, maybe spread out a little bit more and not live so close. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I grew up on a small family farm and yeah. the mentality that they have about their land and the relationship they have with it is very different than city folk assume that it must be like, if you just approach a farmer, like just going to a small town, find the one bar on Main Street, you know, go in there and sit down, chat up some farmers. And it, like you can ask them to drop a trailer or park something on their, their land. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to buy a big piece of land in order to use it. You yeah, can just... No, it's, it's like they have hunters that come, like we used to have hunters that come up from the U.S., you know, because we had this great spot to hunt and we didn't care. They just, yeah, go for it. We have a lake right there. We got like a hundred acres of forest. Like just go for it. You know, like you can build little cabins in there and stuff and it's, no one cares that much. Just be respectful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a small town in Oregon too. It was a lot like that. It was, um, it was actually first town that was pioneered in Oregon, mm. uh, Prineville, Oregon. Wow. Um, so it's uh, a very old town, uh, well over a hundred years old, but you know, that mentality has never left and it's a big farming town. It used to be a big mill town. Um, they built their own train lines, connects to the main train line, um, a long time ago. So there's a lot of pride in that town, but it's really cool because there are like a couple bars in town and that's where everyone goes so you know you go through your daily week and everyone's farming or at the mill or um, herding cows and shit or up hunting in the forest um, going after cougars and shit 
And then they come down for the weekend. You all sit at the bar and you talk about all your shit. And then, yeah, one guy's like, hey, I'm doing this Bitcoin thing. Can I put my my uh, shipping container on your farm? He's like, absolutely. And um, I'll, I'll pay you in tomatoes, too. I'll give you yeah. a couple baskets of tomatoes every month. Okay, sure. Why not? That's fine with me. <laughs> totally. And it, that's, that's how it works. No bureaucracy. Straight to the point. One trading one service or product for another service or product. It's, it's yeah, nice. And just stuff. find out what it is that they're short on and would want. Like if it's a small town, maybe there's an older population too that would appreciate, you know, somebody coming around to shovel snow or, you know, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. And there's a certain peace of mind that everyone has because they know that everything's going to be perfectly fine no matter what happens. Like even here, um, we're on top of a hill that's along the, the coast and there's a village just down at the bottom of the hill and there's farmer's markets down there. So there's right. fish, there's fishermen bring their catches in through there. There's people with farms all around and stuff. So like, even if the shipping routes all got cut off and you know, the borders were closed and the pandemic swept the land and everything, it's, that's not going to affect these people that much that you have options, you know? Right. You know, speaking of farmer's markets, I think it's the most underrated community engagement that there is honestly mm-hmm. because at least one day a week where your entire town or your entire community comes in and shares what they have and you know everyone's out spending money and having good time alcohol everything's, everything's fresh um you know you're meeting new people and fostering relationships with your neighbors and the community um you know that stuff I think people really don't attend to as much as they used to. And I think that's kind of a lost value, but I love seeing it. I, I try to go to farmer's markets um, as much as I possibly can. It's, I mean, there's no better way to really engage with your community than at a gathering like that. I mean, obviously I wouldn't go right now with all the COVID concerns, but um, in general, it's uh, it's definitely a good way for have community engagement, you know, foster that. Um, those relationships and that entrepreneurial spirit and getting out and sharing yeah, what you have. I mean, a lot of people that only know the city might romanticize this notion and think that, oh, maybe someday I'll get to do that or whatever, but they don't, they can't in their minds connect where they are now to that. They don't know what the process to get there would be. And it seems scary because all the questions come up like, would I still have the same standard of living and what's involved in achieving that? Would I still be able to have the same kind of job? Would, is, is there Wi-Fi out there? You know, this, all right. these things come. And so for real estate developers, this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You, you just put together packages that assure people that are used to all those things that, yes, you can have all those things in a nice, convenient little package outside of the city in the farming experience or something like that. Cause right. I think a lot of what is going to sell new projects is going to be the experience that comes with it because yeah. houses are houses. They're whatever. Right. But if, right. Uh, I think that's part of the laziness of consumer markets though. Yeah. Um, like most people are just, they'll sit at home by their phone and they'll be like, well, I wonder when I'm going to get a letter from the power company or I wonder like what website do you go to to pay my water bill mm. or how do I get my gas turned on um, without leaving my house when, right. you know, in these smaller communities um, that like what you guys have and what you're trying to put together. I mean, people should be going to 
community panels and stuff. You know, they should be voicing their concern. If they want um, water ran to their house, I mean, that's a good place to go to, you know, make a note of that. And then, you know, that service will probably be offered. You know, I mean, people just don't engage like they used to. Right. It's like a lost part. And I mean, that's also a way to reveal shortcomings that could be addressed yourself. You know, you don't have to leave everything up to town council to do. Like if, if, if there's an issue with getting water out to a particular property or something, then maybe the right thing to do is not pester them to run a line out. Maybe the right thing to do is to drill wells, you know, and right. put up a tower and, you know, but yeah, you people, won't know that unless you ask and figure out what the situation is. Yeah. The people will worry about services that aren't offered in mm-hmm. these type of community scenarios. They'll worry about what kind of work they'll have to do. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. maybe it's kind of stupid. It's like, all right, well, what are you good at? That's mm-hmm. what you offer the community and then work hard at it. And you'll do very well because you know, you're going to corner that market. So I don't see what the issue is there. Just be entrepreneurial. And then on the other side of it, if you, if you need something, then voice it, you know, yeah. it's probably something that most people need anyways. Especially during times of upheaval and crisis, like when the blood is running in the streets, you know, <laughs> that's the time to buy. Well, right now there's so many opportunities. Like if you just put together a, a basic hazmat suit, you know, you can yep. do so much for people that are afraid to leave their houses. You can right. be an errand boy. You can be a delivery boy. You can drive Uber, you know, like there's, exactly. there's so much to be done right now. I know. And that's when I was talking about the, the innovation yesterday with my friend Clement, um, because this is going to be a time where you have a huge opportunity with a new target market. Like we probably haven't seen in a long time where everyone is stuck at home. Mm. Everyone is in self quarantine. Right. So how do you target them? What do they need? What can, what service or product can you provide them? And I think the real entrepreneurs, the, the smart people that are ambitious are going to see a huge opportunity in that. And I think we'll see some cool things come out of that, whether it's from the bigger companies, you know, like Netflix and Amazon and Facebook and whatnot, or, you know, people starting up startups that, mm. you know, maybe offer um, a special pizza delivery service in hazmats. Or that, you know, offer a new app that keeps you incredibly entertained or some type of media that allows people to engage remotely, like Zoom, uh, but maybe something more um, interactive that maybe you play games on. Or, yeah. I, I feel like there'll be all kinds of developments in this relatively short period of time because people are stuck at home with all their cash. They just pulled it all out. And, uh, and you can have fun with it, you know, like, okay, yeah. at first the idea of running around delivering pizzas in a hazmat suit sounds kind of freaky, but it's funny. have fun with it, man. Put, yeah. put glitter and rainbow crap all over your suit and dance around as you're delivering it. Just have fun, you know? Like, yeah. just, hazmat pizza. There you go, whatever. <laughs> hazmat tacos or something like that. But yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, you have millions of people that will be stuck at home that are bored that have a lot of cash and that have too much shit and they're going to be curious. So, I mean, there's a huge opportunity for people that want to jump on that. And, you know, just thinking about it on my own and just, I get so many ideas and I'm like, who's going to do this? Someone's got to try one of these things. They'd make so much money. 
And people's mentality in shock panic situations tends to kind of swing like a pendulum. Like um, a lot of people, they'll think, okay, what do I have that I don't need that I can sell for some quick cash that I can survive on? So mm -hmm. you're going to see a lot of like hobby stuff going up for sale on Craigslist and eBay and whatever, like people selling their musical instruments and their sports cars and all the stuff that they don't really need that they can liquidate. Mm -hmm. And then things, things are going to go on for a while and they're going to get bored and wish they had their toys back. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. People, I mean, people are panicking and thinking also at the same time, what haven't I bought? What, what am I not thinking about? I know I'm not thinking about something. They're all freaking out. So it's an opportunity for you to inject what you think that they need. Mm. And a lot and of things you know that, that a lot of things that they want are really simple things too. Like there's a huge demand for hand sanitizer. Well, okay, so mm -hmm. fire up the moonshine gin and get cracking. You know? <laughs> you make make special hand hand sanitizer that has like a fruity smell or something, you know, make sure, whatever. Concoction, do something unique. Yeah, you have yeah, some flowers on the back. You can add, add a fragrance or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and put a small premium on it for the little extra you're going out of your way to, to do for them. And, you know, people will pay for it. They have cash. They're sure. sitting at home bored with cash. They're going to spend it. Um, you just have to provide something that, you know, that will satisfy their boredom um, and, and their needs. Um, as I've been actually looking into manufacturers for like N99 masks. Um, and stuff like that so that I could buy a whole bunch of them and then you do something creative with them down here in Medellin before things get crazy. Um, and like the N95s are great and they're cheap, but the N99s, they're, they're a little bit more stylish. They're washable. Um, they fit uh, very snugly so they don't like irritate your face, your ears, or shit like that. Mm. Um, you know, I think the most important part is that it is a little bit more stylish. Um, and for maybe 30 dollars more i mean it's uh it's uh worth buying if you're bored and you know and you have cash oh yeah so, for sure i can see a market for like designer masks that are a couple hundred dollars even you right. know like tricked out uh black plague doctor masks and stuff like that <laughs> i got one right here it's, there you it's go. got a full mesh it's got a little breathing filter so you can actually breathe it's yeah. nice on the side you can rewash it yeah, because like after the first few weeks, you're going to see a lot of people coming to terms with it and getting comfortable with it and trying to have fun with it, you know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's just this, this is just a blue one, but they have all kinds of designs and whatnot. The, uh, the Cambridge Mask Company, if anyone is interested, I definitely recommend them. Um, they got mm -hmm. pretty, pretty cool product. Oh, cool. And it's, it's very affordable. They come in different designs you can get some wacky color combinations you get like camo like anything that kind of fits your personality mm -hmm. um and i'm not plugging them because they're a sponsor i'm plugging them because i like it um even but, better <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna try and buy a whole bunch of those and see where um you know the market might need some of that at some point here in beautiful medellin and yeah. um good opportunity for me to start up a business and have like at least some agenda for now. Yeah. And one more idea to throw out there for anyone that's looking for inspiration. Um, especially now it's still kind of early in a lot of places. There's still plenty of cities that don't have cases yet, or maybe there's only one or so, but like 
there was this one dude that hopped on a plane and came down to Tomuco, and he was the first case in this region. Mm. And of course, that wasn't good enough. He, he then had to hop on a bus and go to this other one town, and it's like, okay. Everybody would very much appreciate it if this one dude would just stop whatever the hell he's doing, okay? I don't know what could be so important, and just hold yourself up and, you know, be considerate to everyone else. And in situations where it is only one guy, or maybe a couple or, or something, I think there would be plenty of people that would be willing to bring by care packages and drop them off as like thank you gift baskets and stuff for this dude and like give him some moral support and you know that that kind of a thing. Yeah, um, it, that would be nice, um, and that's what we should do. But we don't live in that world, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in smaller communities, yeah, that's much more of reality, but it's unfortunately just not. It's also like expecting 330 million Americans to all stay at home. They're not going right. to all stay at home. A small percentage will actually stay at home and will probably be the elderly and people are still going to be out and about because you can't just shut things down. You can't just shut business down. You can't just shut commerce down for right. weeks, maybe even months on end. It's just not how society works. Um, you know, I mean, yes, there'll be a very large market of people stuck at home self-quarantining with a lot mm -hmm. of cash for board, but that doesn't mean they aren't going to get out of the house. You can't keep people locked up in their houses. That's, um, it's another reality. Yeah. And there might be opportunity going back to real estate development. Like if somebody wants to design uh, housing for people that are concerned about this kind of stuff, like there's probably people out there that would really appreciate knowing that their condo board had a, a very good disaster plan or emergency response plan for things like this with features in all of the units that would like seal up and filter all the air and provide filtered water, you know, like a basically providing the peace of mind that preppers have without having to be a prepper, you know? <laughs> well, it'd be nice if everyone was like mildly a natural prepper, you know, then yeah. everyone would be somewhat sufficiently prepared. Problem is, no one is. And these yeah. these companies don't prepare. They don't have stockpiles. Um, right. Our the government, the U.S. government, doesn't prepare for these kinds of disasters very well. They don't have a stockpile, at least that we know of. Right. Uh, maybe a military stockpile, but that's it. I mean, individuals, this, in general, and families. We don't we don't stockpile. We don't prepare. This um, is one of those rare things, though, that a government could do in a decentralized fashion. Like instead of having centralized stockpiles, you just mandate a, a basic template, you know, like here's your standard kit that comes with some essentials that will last a long time, a survival rifle, maybe a hazmat suit, you know, just some basic stuff, a, a mask and whatever. And everyone has a kit, you know, every household. Yeah. They, they don't like to do that though. I mean, they don't like to, to, to fear monger. They don't like to prep. They, they want society to function in a bubble. Right. Um, because you can control that. You know, if you encourage your citizens on a mass scale to be independent and sovereign and be a proud American mm. um, in the real meaning of being a proud American, not being a proud American and worship the flag. But yeah. um, you, you all of a sudden become a much bigger threat to the government and you start um, taking away a lot of the power the federal government has and you start getting back to state rights and you start getting back to community rights and um, they don't want that. 
They, they yeah, don't want it's that. Like, what was that that line in V for Vendetta, right? I want yeah. everyone to remember why they need us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, they, they don't want that. They, you know, the the government's power comes from you know people being under lock and key and control in a lot of ways and S being dependent. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Well, we'll have to check in again before too long. I'm sure things will be uh, in a constant state of flux here for a little while. Oh, yes, they will. Um, I'll be in contact with you for sure. Um, keep me updated on what's happening in Chile. I'll do the same for Colombia. And um, Good talk, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. And when the uh, borders open up again, you'll have to drop drop on by and check the place out. <laughs> yeah. Are they closing down the borders just all around or to specific so, areas? Yeah. All, all the borders? Yeah. Well, maybe I can dig a tunnel underneath or something. <laughs> right to Fort Galt. Dig under the Andes. How hard can it be? <laughs> exactly. It's just don't try. Just don't try getting through the desert because there's still a bunch of landmines up there. <laughs> great, great, yeah. All right, all right. I'll let you go, man. Great, right. great talk. Everything. Take um, care. You soon, bro.